This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. You've heard of Facebook, right? Huge site, over 2 billion people visiting it every day. But what's it like working there? I talked with product designer Jessica Durkin to find out. Um, for me, the most interesting thing about working at Facebook is how we currently live in a time where technology has transformed the way most people live. Um, and that's caused new challenges and questions to come up that no one has really worked through before. So for instance, what happens to your Facebook when you die? Uh, how do we design at this insane scale that we're operating at right now? There are just new problems that come up for the time that we live in that I think are really interesting and it's sort of a new frontier of things to design and solve for. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. Whether you want a full-time job or you're looking for something temporary or freelance, we've got you covered. This week, Cloud4 is looking for a front-end developer in Portland, Oregon. Chegg Incorporated is looking for a UX designer for a contract role in New York City. Halo Group is looking for an Atlanta-based JavaScript developer. And Buffer is looking for an engineering manager for a remote position. We also have job listings from Indeed.com, so head to the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to apply and to search for any other listings. Don't forget to sign up for weekly job alerts when there are new positions added to the job board. You'll get an email so you can be the first to apply. Again, that's revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. See you there. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, I want to remind you again that we're sponsoring the 2017 Black in Design Conference. Now, this event takes place October 6th through the 8th at the Harvard University Graduate School of Design, and the theme for this year's event is Designing Resistance, Building Coalitions. General admission tickets are still on sale. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can get yours today. Now, let's talk about our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and SiteGround. You know, I think anyone who has a small business knows that sometimes advertising your business can feel like you're throwing your money into a black hole. Like you do Facebook ads, you do Instagram ads, you do SEO. It's hard to kind of tell what the right thing is that you should be doing. The good thing about MailChimp is that they give you the power to see exactly what's working and it gives you the confidence to grow your business in your own way. Sign up for a free account today at MailChimp.com. MailChimp. Send better email. When did you buy your first domain? So I, I bought my first domain, uh, marischerry.com, on June 19th, 2003. That is, I think that's a month after I graduated college. Uh, that's 14 years ago, which should let you know how old I am. But throughout my career online, uh, that domain has been the one constant as I've grown as a designer and as a creative and as a professional. Even as I've switched to different web hosts and such, I've always had that domain. You know, that's the kind of flexibility that Hover offers you, along with a bunch of other perks like personalized email and free who is privacy. Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. 
SiteGround's hosting services are crafted for professional, business, or enterprise projects. You know, they let you build better, faster, safer websites more easily, and they offer multiple options that your websites can grow into. All plans have managed WordPress hosting, which is pretty cool, including staging and Git integration. So for those of you that build websites, that's you should know what those terms mean. Uh, get started today by visiting SiteGround.com forward slash revision path so you can get 60% off on all hosting plans. SiteGround, web hosting crafted with care. Now for this week's interview. I'm talking with Webby Award winning creator Kim Goldburn. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Sure. So my name is Kim Goldburn. I am a designer, developer, and uh, self-proclaimed chronic creator. I'm originally from Kingston, Jamaica. And right now I currently work as a product consultant at a product consultancy called ThoughtBot. And I also do a lot of my own projects on the side under my alias Born. Let's talk about Born and, and that, that notion of being a chronic creator. Can you talk to the audience about some of the things that you have created? Sure. So my most recent project is called No Questions Asked. It is a challenge where challengers basically get one place to go a week for six weeks. And right now, the first launch was in New York City. So it's a lot of different places in Manhattan, Brooklyn, and Queens. So that's the most recent project that I did. The one before that was called uh, Bitter Renter. It is a interactive guide for first-time renters in New York. So when I first moved here, it was just really hard for me to understand the different things that I needed to know to find an apartment, but just like all the fees that were included. So I built this simple guide that somebody could use in the context of their own situation to sort of be able to navigate through that situation. And another one was Founder Mantras, which I only ran for a year that basically just gave you a quote every day that was actually a quote that a founder submitted. Some were quotes that founders submitted and some were quotes that I sourced myself. So it was just supposed to be like an inspirational site for really newbie founders like myself. That's a few of the products that I've done. Nice. So with these projects that you're creating, what is kind of the the philosophy behind you being a chronic creator? Like, Because these are all kind of wholly different projects. You know, one is yeah. sort of daily inspiration. One is helping people out with renting, which you're downplaying this, but you want a Webby for that. <laughs> I, I want the people that are listening to realize how important that is. Like, I know you just kind of gloss by it. Like, oh, yeah, I got this. You want a Webby. That is major. And then, of course, now you're doing no questions asked. But where does that, that drive come from to make these products? So a lot of the projects or, I, I guess, ideas that I come up with have always been from experiences that I've had or just pain points that I've experienced myself. So really, it just comes from there. And usually, you know, I come up with the idea and it sort of goes through like two or three months of it just like being in my head before I sort of decide that I actually want to work on it. And I think just the mere fact that it's been something that I've personally experienced has made it a reason why I actually work on these projects and from beginning to end. And so when you're making these projects, like let's talk about No Questions Asked, since that is the most recent one that you've done. Where did that idea come from to do something along those lines? So because most of my ideas come from experiences, I've been trying to explore more of that. So just like have more new experiences. And since I work so much, it's been really hard for me to just get out of the house. So last year, I really tried to force myself, okay, every Friday, I was at least going to like not go home and Netflix and chill mm -hmm. and find someplace new. And I always made it made an effort to like always go to a new spot. And it was just really hard to like parse through all of the different lists that are available online. And I think one night I was just 
going home on the train and I just had this idea that, oh, what if it was like a short term thing where it's just like, okay, it's time box. You get like six weeks. You get like one thing to do each week. Just very simple, very easy, you know, low commitment. You know, would people enjoy something like that? Because I think for me, I think it's mostly because I was lazy. I didn't want to have to go through the list. Mm -hmm. So if you just gave me a place to go to, I would go. So that's sort of like the premise for the whole app is if you get one place and it fulfills most of your preferences, like dietary restrictions and just the bar that you would prefer, would you go? So that's kind of the experiment that I'm running at the moment. And so like, are there any, I mean, you know, you're debuting this in New York, but are there any other restrictions around it? Like it has to be done in a week, in a month or anything like that? Yeah, it has to be done in a week. It's time boxed around specifically July 24th to September 3rd. So it has to be done in that six week period, which still not sure if I agree with or disagree with yet, but we'll see how people like that. Yeah. So I I think those are mostly the restrictions. What's been the feedback so far? So everybody is excited to do it. A few of the guests that showed up at our launch party were pretty excited to start it and had already completed their challenges that week. Hmm. So I think I'm just waiting for their their shoe to drop. (laughs) So, so far, so good. We'll see. (laughs) Nice. Well, congratulations on on putting that project together and launching it successfully like that. Are you going to like do a different one each season? Because it sounds like it's a summer. You debuted in the summer. It sounds like it's seasonal. Well, I didn't. So usually when I come up with these projects, it's always like a one and done idea. Okay. Um, but I think this one definitely has legs to be seasonal and of course, expand to other cities as well. Because a lot of people online have been, you know, wishing for it to be in their city. So we'll see. <laughs> hey, listen, you could bring that to Atlanta because we have a, we just have like a huge yuppie population here in general. You could bring something like that to Atlanta and I think it would really take off because we have so many there's just a lot of stuff to do in atlanta like atlanta is big and spread out and i mean there's always new restaurants and new things that are happening like especially i'd say from memorial day to labor day you could do something different every weekend there's a different festival or something to get into in the city so you could bring something like that here and do pretty well so i think expanding to other cities will be i might be on the roadmap. That's good to know. Um, put Atlanta down. <laughs> <laughs> so like you said, these these ideas are kind of, you know, not to be punny, but these ideas are born out of your your experiences. Let's talk about some of the other things you've done. Bitter Render, I know you said that kind of came out of, you know, this this frustration with uh, with trying to find an apartment. And it seems like it really took off since that's the one that you really won an award for. Can you talk a little bit about more of the process behind that? Sure. So the process is in just what I had to go through to get the site (laughs) up and running. Well, I mean, you know, yeah, get it up and running and like getting the word out because that's really, you know, important. You you don't want to launch these projects in a vacuum. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the content itself, I initially wrote and had a writer sort of help me sort of write it in a more witty way, just because the whole experience is already frustrating. So I want the site itself to be fun. And it actually took a long time to put the site together only because there were so many different paths that a user could take. It wasn't just, you know, you would passively read this guide and it would tell you everything that you need to know. It was more of an interactive experience where you would tell me, okay, I actually, I'm only making this much (laughs) per year, which therefore qualifies you for this much rent. And that's something that a lot of people don't actually know. So it sort of takes you through this whole experience. So how I got the word out is 
what I typically do, which is I post it on a lot of different design blogs, which have always been sort of the thing that I've, I've lent on with all of my projects and something that I'm trying to get better at to like not just do that. But that's really how I got the word out. And it kind of just took off from there and not, not in the way that I wanted it to, but it, it has been one of my bigger projects. And then I applied for a Webby and surprisingly got nominated and surprisingly won. <laughs> surprisingly. Um, like you're not talented. I Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> because to be honest, it was so I think Zillow was winning the I think it's called the People's Voice Awards. I can never remember the name of that that mm-hmm. award. Where it's like, okay, you know, just the people vote on that in that area. And I, I was like number five <laughs> out of five. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm not winning, but I got nominated. So I was happy. And then I won the whole thing and it was crazy. <laughs> hey, look, an upset from behind is, is amazing. Don't downplay that when, you know, if I can talk about Revision Path a little bit, the first award that we won was from Creative Market. They did the Creative uh-huh. Market Awards in 2015 and they had a category, Most Inspiring Design Podcast. And Revision Path was in there mainly because they sponsored us the year before. So I think it was kind of like, oh, the sponsorship ran out. Let's, I felt like they kind of threw me a bone because it was like, oh, we'll nominate it because why not? But I mean, yeah. I was up against Design Matters with Debbie Millman. I was up against wow. Design Details, Adventures in Design, like all of like the titans of design podcasting, 99% Invisible. Like, come on. And you won? And you I won. Also- I won. Awesome, I, I have the medal <laughs> in my living room. <laughs> I what I was so, so proud awesome. of that. And I mean, but it was one of those things where like you, you know, you ask people to vote and you never know how folks are going to just come through yeah. in the clutch. So, I mean, you know, be proud of that. Yeah, I'm very proud. That's true. <laughs> so do you have any other kind of projects that are in the pipeline? Or are you just kind of focusing now mostly on no questions asked? So I actually have a podcast <laughs> that I'm thinking about, actually, Okay, which is it's called The Jump. And, and I'm glad that you used that word earlier when we were, we were chatting earlier. So it's basically, it initially came from thinking about people who have moved from full-time positions to freelance or plunging into something that they've always wanted to do and were just scared to do it. But I'm thinking that it can also expand into really anything where it's like, maybe somebody decided to quit their job and take a year off and just travel the world, you know, sort of all these awesome experiences that, you know, we're so terrified to do, but when we do them, you know, we just learn so much. So I'm really just like, interested to just hear a lot of people's stories around that so that's that's one thing and then I had a project that I started earlier this year called more it is a that was pretty hard to describe but right now it's a product line where it's just little reminders to do things that matter so the first thing that we released was a sweatshirt called love more and I'm hoping to do a lot of different phrases along those lines where it's like create more you know sleep more work out more things that you know, are in just things that are important, right, to your life that you sometimes forget just because you're so caught up in everything that's going on. So I'm hoping to just be like a little inspirational piece that you would wear or you would look at or whatever the product may be. When you're putting together, I guess when you're even coming up with the ideas for all of these different projects, like, what are you learning as you're doing all of these different things? So many different things. It depends on what I'm doing, when I'm doing it, who I'm doing it with. So let's take, for example, No Questions Asked. So I actually used React Native for the first time in that project. So I I design and build most of my projects. So 
I'm always learning a new technology if I decide to like use something new with it. So React Native was a big thing in the last project that I did. And also working with curators and just having like curators in general was something that I've never really explored before and was was very integral to No Questions Asked. So that was for NQA. For Bitter Renter, I really focused on content for that project. And I really realized that like content is not my strong point And I didn't try to force myself to write that content. I just hired somebody to do it and do it better. And also for NQA, uh, marketing was also a big thing for me. I can't say that I did it to the best of my ability and probably something we'll talk about later. But marketing has always been the thing that I have not been so great at and something that I really need to get better at. That's always been a constant in every project that I do. It's just that like I need to get better at marketing and then I do a little better and then I need to get better at marketing and it gets a little bit better. So it really depends on the project. It's just a lot of different things in the context of that project at the time. Let's actually tap into that now. So you're in New York City, which is like, I I feel like certainly here on the East Coast, it is the place to go for creative inspiration, (laughs) particularly in the design industry. Folks in San Francisco might think differently, but we're talking about the East Coast here. Um, (laughs) What does the design scene look like for you in New York City? Are you like going to meetups and networking and things like that? So I'm really bad at that. Really bad. (laughs) I used to be better when I first started one of my really old projects called Hashtags. I kind of dived into the startup community with that project. But I haven't, every time I'm working on a project, I'm always so heads down, which is something I'm also working on, that like I just don't have time to go out because I have a job and because I'm doing this like on nights and weekends. Mm -hmm. So I can't speak to the design community as much as I'd want to. I can speak to it on the internet because it's just so, it, it's awesome online, just the amount of like communities that are available there. But in person, I'm slowly like getting into the design community. Well, I was going to say at least some of that has now changed, hasn't it? Uh, what do you mean? Well, you said before, you know, it was hard. It's been hard to go out and, and network oh, yeah. because you had a job. And it, and trust me, I understand that like you work eight, nine, 10 hours a day, the last thing you want to do when you get home is go back out and talk to more people. You know, you just want to retreat into your, you know, into your home and just chill. So I, I get yeah. that. But well, so with, you know, getting out more and doing networking, I mean, I know that that's going to be a good way just to let people know what you're, yeah. what you're working on. Like, I feel like the more that you have other people kind of aware of the work that you're doing, that can only help out because they might check in and see, you know, how's it going? Or they may tell someone else about it and you get other people, you kind of build up a buzz around it in a way. Yeah, no, I totally agree. For sure. So with hashtags, was that kind of the first project that you did from Born? Well, it wasn't Born at the time, but yes, it was the first, I guess, like idea that I had that I fully realized from start to finish. And it was also my first taste of, I guess, fully entrepreneurship and just like the startup community and investors. I learned everything about what you need to know about like a startup and why I did not want a startup (laughs) with that project. Okay. So how long did you do hashtags? Two whole years. Okay. (laughs) Longest one yet. (laughs) Two years is a good time. I mean, certainly that's enough time for you to realize whether you want to do it or not anymore. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so from there, you've just been creating more things. Have they on purpose been shorter projects because this one was so long? Yep. Okay. <laughs> so I'm not sure if I've been, I'm not sure if I was burnt by hashtags because, so with that project, the biggest lesson I learned was that I have to work on things that I'm truly passionate about. And I didn't realize at the time that the reason why I created it was just to learn a new technology. 
And uh. I think if I knew that in the beginning, then it wouldn't have lasted so long and I wouldn't have dug myself a deeper hole. So from that point, I just realized, okay, so, so every time I start a project, I ask myself, okay, why do I want to do this project and how long am I willing to work on it? And if it just so happens that it can go further, am I okay with that? So I sort of just set that up beforehand just so that I'm not like digging myself another hole in the future. Right. So the goal when you're doing new projects is you have to be passionate about it. And then also you're, you're hopefully learning something new as well as you're doing it. Right. What's something new that you're learning now? Well, so React Native was the thing that I just learned okay. <laughs> for NQA. And then I guess with the next project I'm doing, it's going to be how to make a podcast because I have no idea. Well, I have a class on podcasting, but I do find that with podcasting now, there's so many more resources than honestly than there used to be even just a few years ago, like even less than five years ago. There's yeah, so many pod. more classes and groups and things where you can learn like what are the right mics and the right software and everything. And I mean, then you're in New York City where that's like the epicenter of podcasting in terms of a lot of really popular shows, like you've got WNYC shows, you've got shows from BuzzFeed, you've got like that pod, well, it's a space called the Green Space that does a lot of podcasting live shows, you've got Gimlet Media there, like yep. there's no shortage of, of podcasting resources, I think, in New York City. So you picked a good place to start. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> <laughs> so have you already started interviewing people or are you just kind of molding nope. the idea right now? Okay. I have no idea what the structure is going to be, how long it's going to be. I know who I want to interview, and they're all like written down in my book. <laughs> but I haven't, since I just finished NQA, I'm sort of taking a little break, and then I'm going to like start thinking about that project. Okay. I will point you in the direction of some some Facebook groups that will be able to help out. There's actually... That's awesome. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. Later this month, there's a big podcasting conference. It's happening out in California. It's called Podcast Movement. It's going to be near the end of August. Actually, by the time this interview airs, it will have already happened, but I think it's like the last week of August or something. But next year, it's going to be in Philly, so it's going to be closer. I I plan to be at the one in Philly. But yeah, this is a good time to to get into podcasting, and especially with something around the the topic that you have. It's really good because you you can talk to people in a lot of different fields. Like, it wouldn't just be a specific, like, like I do design. Like, this is just a design podcast. Um, So, But you could talk to attorneys or real estate agents or anyone really that is making that jump into something new. And I've met so many people that have have jumped from something like two completely different things like, oh, I was a doctor and now I'm a developer. Yeah. (laughs) It's so interesting. People have so many interesting stories that you don't hear unless you ask, you know, so. Let's kind of go back a little bit. How did you first get started in design? Like, did you have a moment where you realized this is what you want to do? I think my moment was a funny one. So back in high school, my friends used to design a lot of flyers for the parties that we would have in Jamaica. And I always wanted to design one of those flyers. I don't know why. Now when I look back, they're actually pretty, pretty bad. (laughs) But I always wanted to do so. So I think someday I went home and told my mom that and I applied for school and art school in Savannah called Savannah College of Art and Design. Mm -hmm. Um, So I studied graphic design there. And from there, I think in my sophomore year, I fell in love with with web design and just the digital sector and been doing that ever since. (laughs) What was your time like at SCAD? 
But it was awesome, actually. It wasn't until I discovered what I enjoyed doing in design that I started enjoying school. Because I think before that, I was just like, classes were just so hard and I felt like I was so bad and just <laughs> freshman, freshman feelings. But yeah, overall, the experience was great. It wasn't your typical college experience just because, one, it's an art school, and two, we didn't have your typical campus. It was just sort of like buildings around Savannah, Georgia. Oh, okay. um, so, I, so that made it very interesting. So I don't think I had your typical college experience, but it was it was a good one nonetheless. Do you feel like it prepared you once you started going into the working world? I feel like it prepared me to an extent. It gave me a portfolio and it gave me some of the tools I needed skill-wise, but it did not give me some of the knowledge that I needed, or at least that I wanted to like run my own business or do things on the side. It was mostly just, okay, I can get into the workforce if I try really hard, but if you wanted to do anything beyond that, it was you kind of have to figure it out yourself. So that's a common criticism that I've heard from people that have went to just design schools in general, that they certainly kind of teach you conceptually, they give you the portfolio, they give you the skills, but not necessarily how do you take those skills, and then turn them into something, you know, and a lot of what I think designers are really hungry for right now is kind of the business aspect of design, exactly. you know, yep. and, it's, and it's not just about, you know, going to work somewhere, but also what if I want to work for myself? Like, what do I need to know about accounting? What do I need to know about business and marketing? And that's a really common thing that, that I hear yep. from a lot of, of uh, art school grads is that. And I think we had maybe, I do remember taking like one business class or like one psychology class, but we definitely, it was definitely not focused on that, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't think, I was definitely not prepared for that side of things. So, and but then you have to ask yourself, you know, how much time can you split between improving your skill and then also improving the business side of things? And I mean, I think that's just up to the curriculum and how people structure that, but hopefully it gets better. (laughs) So then after SCAD, did you move directly to New York? Yep. I got my first job as a, ironically, a developer (laughs) at RGA. Okay. And you've worked, you know, around New York in a couple of big places. You you mentioned RGA. You've done some work for Ogilvy. What did those places ended up teaching you about yourself? That I enjoy moving from project to project, but that I also enjoy being a part of every part of the process, which I was not able to be in most of those places. So the first three jobs that I had, RGA, Wondersauce, and Ogilvy, I was always a developer. And I collaborated really well with the designers because I also enjoy design and I was a really integral in that process. But I was never seen as a designer. So I was never, you know, invited into the room at that point or even from the beginning when people were talking to clients, you know, the developers always wanted to be there because it would just help foresee any issues down the line. And we just were never able to be there. And that was extremely frustrating. So that's when I sort of realized that, like, I really enjoy everything, doing everything from like start to finish or at least being there in the room. Because that just made me happier on a project and just, you know, I put more into it, I think. I want to talk about this post that you've got up on Medium. You chronicle a lot of the work that you're doing right now out of Born. You have a, a journal that's called The Chronic Creator. Is that right? Yeah. And the latest post that you have up, at least, you know, the public post that you have on Medium, uh, it's called A Year of No Clients Q2. <laughs> and you you hit on a few topics that I think are important, you know, for entrepreneurs, and I think it's just important for people to hear in general that might be interested in wanting to go out on their own. Can we talk a little bit about that post? Because there are some things I want to kind of, you know, dissect a little bit. Let's do it. Tell me what your your thought process was when you put that out. 
So I decided to do the year of no clients last year, December. And the, the idea for the year is, so I usually do my own projects and then I also have done freelance client work. So I decided to take the year off of freelance client work and just focus on my projects. So that's sort of what the whole year is about. So I've been, I think at the end of Q1 or when I realized it was Q1, I realized that so much had happened, you know, in like three months that I felt like I don't, I owed myself to write about, you know, and then whoever else decided to read it. So Q2 was like, you know, obviously like the second quarter for that. So that's sort of where the post came from. And there's three things in there that you, you say that you kind of need to do moving forward. So I want to talk about each of those as well. The first one, you said that you need to get out of your own way. Yeah. So there are still so many things that I need to learn from the business side of, of running a business, or at least the business side of like running what it is that I want to do. And I know that there are my own way of doing things has stopped me from leveling up is what I also have said in there where it's like, I know what I need to do to get better at marketing, but because it's so hard for me to foresee the results of marketing, it's been hard for me to like actually do the work. And I know that I just need to like get out of my own head and just like do it anyway so that I can, you know, see what happens and just like try it anyway. So that along with like, you know, reaching out to press and trying to structure partnerships and stuff like that has just been like really hard for me to do just because it's so hard for me to like foresee or predict like the results of that whereas like when I design or build something I know what it's going to look like at the end I know what it's going to you know function like at the end Um, so it's easier for me to get get shit done so that's kind of where that came from well you know how the saying goes nothing ventured nothing gains yeah there you go (laughs) so you have to at least kind of venture and I know what you mean it can be hard to see kind of what the return on your investment is but and I I can only say this from having worked (laughs) I've been where you are. I'll put it like that. Having been at that spot, the only thing that's going to really break you out of it is to just get into a pattern and a habit of of reaching out to people in general. It's good that you're starting a podcast because this will help you with your own marketing. One thing that has really helped me. Yeah, this is this kind of been an interesting byproduct. So one thing that this show has really helped me with is cold calling and cold emailing. I will pick up the phone and talk to anybody at any time, anywhere with zero prep. And a lot of that has come from having to do the same thing with this show. So I would say 95, maybe more percent of the people who are on this show, I did not know them before I interviewed them. It was completely me reaching out into the void. Hey, this is this project that I'm doing. You want to come be on my show? Great. (laughs) And you know, honestly, nine times out of 10, they've never had an interview. So like, I don't know them. They don't know me. But we're going to just make this happen. We're going to just have this conversation and hopefully it'll work out. And granted, the longer that I've done it, the easier it's gotten. I think part of that is just practice and muscle memory. And and also because I'm following more people and seeing more of their great work. So I have a better idea of who they are. But in general, that has helped with kind of, you know, I guess you could say getting out of your own way. Because I used to be that way, same way when I started off doing my studio, it was like, oh, I don't know how to to reach out to people and Atlanta's such a big city and there's so many folks, but like you have to think about it. If you're feeling that way, there's probably hundreds of other people that are feeling that way too. Yeah. And if you're the one that can break out of that pack, you're already ahead of the game. Sure. <laughs> so like kind of 
just stepping out there and doing something. And it can be, you know, small stuff. One thing that helped me, I'm kind of giving away my secrets here. One thing that helped me. (laughs) Please do. (laughs) I got a text expander program. Like one of these things where you type in a few keystrokes and then it just like outputs, you know, paragraphs of stuff, right? So if I'm doing, you know, cold emails or or something, if I'm trying to reach out for, you know, leads or something like that, I've got a specific kind of lead script that I've put together and I change it from time to time. I test it out. You know, it's a living document, so to speak. But it's much easier for me to type out a few keystrokes and then it outputs this whole thing and press send then try to rack my brain over every single person I have to reach out to. The end result is the same. You know, yeah. I'm trying to get an inroads. I'm trying to get a conversation. I'm trying to get on their calendar in some sort of way. And then from there, I can kind of keep it going. So it's been something that has really helped me out a lot. It certainly helped me out with this show, reaching out to people. And some people will respond and say, well, this sounds like a form letter. Yeah, it is a form letter because I reach out to a lot of people. So are you interested or not? See, and that's, I think that's been like a big struggle of mine is that like, you know, one of the things they say when you're reaching out to like, especially like press or like sponsorships and stuff like that is to customize each email. And if I don't know these people, it's so hard to fake that. And I think that's like one of the things I have to like work on is like, okay, you know, how do I cold email this person and make it sound like we're best friends? Well, I mean, you you do want to customize it. You don't want to send it out and it's like, hello, friend. My name is like, you know, yeah, like you don't want to do that. I mean, you want to find their name and, and do right, something yeah. that references it. But like this at least gets you like 90% of the way. Right. Like yeah. you're not having to, to re-explain what your like unique selling proposition is or the kind of yeah. services that you offer. Cause you know, that's going to be the same. It's more so about kind of making sure that it's personalized to, to them. them. Like I feel yeah. like if it's too personalized, it's too creepy. Mm. Like I've certainly gotten, right yeah, like I've certainly gotten some stuff where it's like, okay, how do you know all this? Because <laughs> I haven't shared this anyway. Yeah, like <laughs> it'll be something like that. So it's about striking that balance. But you you find that the more that you do it, the more comfortable you get with it. So getting out of your own way is kind of just about. It's about making the jump. Yeah. See, see, I, I kind of <laughs> like that. what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> The second thing that you had in that post was kind of believing in your marketing plan. Now, So it sounds like you at least started to put something together to make this happen, right? Yeah. So for the first time on one of my projects, I gave time to marketing. You know, so I spent like, I think a week or two thinking through different ideas that I could do marketing wise. And I didn't. But the problem was, was that I didn't stick to that plan once I actually started the process, I guess. I didn't believe in the ideas that I initially came up with. Now, you could say that like, okay, maybe the ideas weren't good, so you thought of different ones, which that was part of the reason. But another part was just, you know, I I didn't have the skill set and I wasn't sure if this made sense anyways, so I just didn't want to do it anyway because it would take too much time. And and I think, which is also just linked to, once again, me getting out of my way and just doing the work, which, you know, I don't want anybody to think that I'm like lazy or anything. I think it's, it's less about doing the work for me and more about how I feel about what I'm going to get out of it. That makes me do the work, which is an right. interesting to think about it. No, that makes sense. I mean, I think we've all been, and for people that are listening, certainly I think they know this. We've all worked on a project where we just have to finish it so we can pay the bills. Mm-hmm. We, we may not be doing cartwheels over it. And I mean, there are folks that have gotten to that point in their career where they can only take the stuff they're super excited about. Yeah. But when you're just starting out, sometimes you have to take those, those projects that, you know, you're not super excited about, but this is going to be a big payoff or this is going to let me get a little bit ahead financially. 
that happens. But I think, you know, like you said, believing in that marketing plan, your marketing plan is something which I feel is always going to change. Yeah. It's going to change as you get a bigger profile. I mean, you have a Webby. I'm surprised you're not leading with that. You know, no, I'm dead serious. That's a good like, point. You know, That's a good point. I don't know why either. The, you know, the Webby Award winning studio born. I mean, come on. Wow, I need to use that. You know, I'm, I'm, it's that's funny. a freebie. I'm giving, I'm giving you that one. No, but my seriously, bio, <laughs> my bio almost didn't even have it in it. If my friend didn't tell me, like Kim, why are you not putting award winning? I'm just like, cause it's one award. I don't know. <laughs> uh, look, and you know, it's interesting. You know, we, I want to talk about awards actually a little bit because I've brought it up with a few folks on the show before. I think most notably, I spoke about this with uh, Roy Milton too. At the time, he was a art director. No, sorry, he was a creative director. For Sanders Wingo in Austin. Now I think he's creative director in like Kansas City, I believe, something like that. He's like in the, he's like episode 76 or something like that. Anyway, we talked about awards because he always kind of leads with, you know, award winning, da 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 da. And, you know, you look at a lot of these awards competitions, whether it's the Webbies or whether it's ADC Young Guns or Art Directors Club or something like yeah. that. And you never see black designers winning awards. It was something certainly that came up with uh, ADC Young Guns when one year all of the winners were white. Wow. And like it was a main kind of argument for a while. I think Jennifer Daniel, she brought it up and she mentioned something about, you know, like all the, the award winners are white. Now they've had, you know, black award winners for ADC Young Guns. They've had Hassan Rahim one year. They've had Silas Monroe, who's also been on the show. I think he's episode 85. He's won ADC Young Guns one year. So they have had black winners. But also it's wondering, are black designers even kind of applying for these things? Right. Yep. And it's something that I eventually I want to explore this on our blog a little bit more in depth because, you know, you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. For and sure. so it's one thing if black designers aren't winning awards. It's another thing if they're not applying for them in the first place. Yeah. And I judge awards competitions every year. I've judged award competitions for how I do a lot oh, of stuff wow. with AIVA, which is the... American Institute of Visual Arts. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've judged like the W3 Awards, the Communicator Awards, the Davy Awards. They do those yeah. three award things. Mm-hmm. So I see a bunch of stuff that comes in. And when I tell you most of it is trash. Wow. <laughs> most of it is. And I, I, I kid you not. WordPress theme bought from Theme Forest. Wow. They've maybe done a palette swap or a color swap. And these are the things that are winning. Well, these are the things that are being submitted. Now, I'm okay. not saying they're winning because if they come across if they come across me and I see it, they I'm marking it down cuz I'm like, where's the creativity? This is someone else's code. All you did was just put someone else's words and pictures in here. You didn't build this. You didn't design they're this. They're taking a shot, I guess, right? You know, but they're taking the shot. And I mean, you know, oh. some agencies and studios, they build that into that's part of their budget. You know, that part yeah. of their budget is part of work. every pro- yeah, part of every project goes into like this this pool, this kitty for applying for these types of awards and things and you know with bigger studios or for people that are charging more projects with overhead they're able to do that kind of stuff that's actually what i learned learned from working at those agencies as well was that like i don't think if i worked at places that applied for awards i uh wouldn't have known about just all of the different awards that are out there and just like the kind of visibility that you can get just from submitting so yeah but then the awards what i think is not communicated is that the awards end up doing two things first of all the awards set you apart in the like just design industry because yeah. not everyone is going to be able to say they're award winning, but you're mm. also able to use that 
as justification for whatever your prices are because Mm. you create work that wins awards. Yeah. It's kind of like a, like a Ouroboros. It's a snake that eats its own tail. It's one of those things where like you get the award and it's great. And then you can use that award to get more, more work, which can win you more awards. You see what I mean? I never, never thought about it that way. It's so interesting that like, I feel like, well, I'm not going to say some people, but like me personally, I've always felt weird seeing or saying award winning because it always felt so it's like you were like like bragging or something yeah yeah but i can i can see where it's like it can be used to your benefit and you can still be humble about it but like i guess maybe i've always seen people sort of use it you know sort of like bragging a bit too much about it that i i don't know which is probably why i've never sort of led with that yeah but but now I, mean, I, it, now I need it, to get out of my own way again. <laughs> yeah, but but honestly, though, it is bragging. You are bragging a little bit and you're allowed to do that because you've created work that won an award. Fair. That's that's fair. that's fair. That's what it is. And, you know, some awards and I think this might be a reason why maybe some designers don't really apply for them. I mean, none of these awards, like, you know, we said before, part of that project money goes into like a pot where they apply for these things. Yeah. When you're applying for these things, it's not free. Exactly. There, there is a fee <laughs> that goes into it to win. And just because you paid that fee does not mean you will win an award. Right. But it also factors into the whole thing of like, you know, you miss 100% of the shots that you never take. If you yep. feel like you've done something that is above and beyond that is doing great work, submit it. And let me tell you, the stuff that I see, the <laughs> stuff that I have, Kim, the stuff that I have seen more black designers need to be submitting their work because the stuff, some of the stuff I have seen has been unconscionable in terms of the level of stuff that's been ripped off. <laughs> that's so interesting to hear. I'm, I'm like, I'm looking in the source code and you use the exact same theme name. If I look in your source code and I search for WP dash content forward slash themes <laughs> and I see that theme name and I find it on theme for you better believe you are not getting any further. Oh like you God. did not make this. That's so and funny. a lot of people do that. So yeah, don't be shy. Lead with that. Please lead with that. <laughs> I'm <not> going for it. <laughs> and now the last thing in that post, you talk about, you know, you need to level up. And I see that kind of as being the, I'm assuming this is like the byproduct of, of course, getting out of your own way, believing more in your marketing plan. But, you know, now that you're kind of setting out with, with Born and all these projects, like what does leveling up look like to you? I honestly do not know. I think I kind of wrote that in post as well, that like, I know that I have another level that I can get to, but I'm just not sure what's stopping me from getting to that level. And I know that a lot of it has to do with the way I'm marketing my projects because I feel like so far I've had a good amount of success with my projects, but I know they can reach, if, if they've been doing so well and people have had such a great reaction to them, then mm-hmm. I know that I can reach further with it if I were just better at marketing and like business partnerships and collaborations and stuff like that. So I think for me, the next level would be to tap into what I'm missing in those areas of my business. So it sounds like, you know, also with that, it's just increased exposure. Like you want your yes. work to be seen and experienced by more people. Yes, for sure. Okay. One way you can do that. I mean, you're in New York. I mean, the New York Times, other magazines and stuff, Fast Company, et cetera, there's tons mm-hmm. of media there. I'm pretty sure there's like, media meetups or or something like that like you go to meetup.com or something uh-huh. go to and those meetups never thought about it that i thought you were gonna say i'm sure you can submit this to like a 
a journalist and they'll write about you. But <laughs> I was going to say, I've done that many times. But like, I've never what? thought about meeting them in person and just like going to these meetups where they would be at. That's yeah, I mean, and, and you can do that, honestly. Like if you think about the parts or, well, you think about the kind of work that you want to take. I mean, I know you're in the part of, you know, year of no clients. I get that. But like when you're, when you get into the point where you want to take on clients again, and you think about the kind of work that you want to do, like the kind of uh, fields you want to go into, maybe it's mm. news, maybe it's entertainment, et cetera. You know, there is no business out there that doesn't have some kind of visual design or something that they need. That's true. And one thing I think that happens with designers when they go looking for work is that they look to other designers and that is the worst place to find work because everybody's looking for work. Other designers right. are looking for work from other people because we're all hired hands. And like, I mean, you know, if we're entrepreneurs, to be honest with you, like if you're trying to get somebody scraps, like good luck, because everyone might feel like they need to take on as much work as they can or they're just going to say no to it. They may or may not think of you. There might be someone else that's closer to them that might get that project. Okay. And so like press, for example, you go to press meetups and you tell them, oh, you know, I'm a designer. Oh, a designer. And you tell them what you've done and you've won awards. You've stuck now in their head as someone that they can come to if they need design something because designers may not go to a media meetup. Designers yep. may not go to a, a fashion meetup or something, but like fashion designers need a website. Yep. They need something. They need something to show off the work that they're doing. You know, maybe it's not a website. Maybe they need something that's more like a creative director to help them with an event or an experience that they're trying to put together. So you kind of have to go where you think your clients might be based on the kind of work that you want to take on. Yeah, that's true. And and in a city like New York, I mean, I would imagine there's probably there's dozens. There's meetups for everything. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's, <laughs> meetup, there's meetups for everything. But I find that, I mean, designers do go to designer meetups because they want to, you know, talk shop and they want to, yeah. I, I get that. But like, if you are, you know, looking for work or looking for different unique projects, they may not be at that design meetup. Right. They're probably going to be at this other meetup that you didn't even think about, you know? Yeah. So that could be, you know, a way that you, especially if you lead that you, I feel like a Webby <laughs> is the type of award that kind of crosses over the tech and design boundaries in terms yeah, of big awards. <laughs> so, I mean, you let the award do the work. Like the award <laughs> is not a spring for anything. Let that spring you into something new, into something I like big. I like that. I'm going to think about it that way from now on. I'm just I'm coming just up with this stuff now. This is this is free. I'm just coming up. <laughs> I'm soaking it in. I'm soaking it in. <laughs> so with, you know, kind of all this stuff that, that you're doing, did you always have this spark to, to make things? I know you said you kind of had the spark when you were making flyers in high school, but like, were you a creative kid? Did you always have this notion to build things like this? Not that I can remember. The only thing I remember from like, before high school was just I was I was always into sports. <laughs> I was always okay. outside running a lot, doing tennis or doing whatever sport the school had at the time. I know I loved art, but I don't remember like, oh, I was always in my room painting or anything like that. I don't think it was until high school that I sort of like started to find that I enjoyed making things or at least to start thinking about it, I would say. Do you have a dream project that you would love to do? This is going to sound funny. I don't know what this dream... Actually, I do have one. I was going to say two things, but actually I do have one. Okay. I actually want to build a music hall, which is okay. the craziest 
project that I could possibly have because I have no idea what that could possibly entail. And I have no idea how to break into the music industry. But I've always loved music. And I know that once I have enough money, I'm going to buy myself a space and build a music hall. But apart from that, I just I really just want the freedom to just like live my life the way I want to. And whatever project that is that makes me do that will be the dream project. Okay, because, I mean, you said that your projects come out of your experience. I didn't know if there was like this big, like pie in the sky dream that you had. Why a music hall? Were you you really into uh, music? I feel like yeah. everyone's into music, but yeah, it's I know. kind of a silly like, question. It feels, so, it feels so generic to say that, like, oh, I'm so into music, so I want to do something with music. But, I mean, but that's really all it is, is that, like, I, I just love listening to different types of music. I have, a, like, a very eclectic playlist. So the one thing that I could think of to tap into that that passion that I have for music was a music hall. Because, like, I can't be a musician because there's just no way I can, like, reach the level of some of the people that I know. And I really don't really care to do that. But okay. I do enjoy the experience of music. So I think a music hall is like the closest thing that I can think to that for now, at least. So for, for folks that are listening, one thing that Kim and I have in common is that we share a birthday <laughs> uh, 10 years apart. But the other thing that we do share is that my dream project also has to do with music. Wow. Are you serious? <laughs> if there That's is so one awesome. thing that I would love to do, like when the Internet well runs dry, if I stop yeah. doing this podcast, I would love to have my own Afro-Cuban big band. Oh my God. That's so awesome. I would love to have that. I played in a big band. I What's started off trombone. Oh my God. That's awesome. So I started off playing, uh, you know, like concert band stuff. I was in middle yeah. school. I did it just so I could like get out of seventh period or whatever, <laughs> but I actually ended up being pretty good at it. And so I played in a big band in high school I did pickup gigs when I was in college. I did pickup gigs after I graduated college. Eventually, I just kind of stopped playing, sold my trombone, whatever. But I mean, there's something about that like big band sound. Like I love Afro-Cuban music. First of yeah. all, I love like just that brassy sound, like stuff like Big Eight Brass Band, Young Blood Brass Band, etc. I love that kind of uh that sound. Just like oh my god, like I, I get goosebumps some of that music. thinking about I it. Like I don't, I don't, I don't do, did you see the movie Girls Trip? Did you see that? Yes, I did. <laughs> so so when they first get to New Orleans and they're in the second line parade and it's playing Lovely Day. Yeah. Like that, that kind of music. Oh, my God. Oh, I, my I, God. I, oh, I, I had that. chills <laughs> listening to that. Like I like that's the sound I grew up with. Like that kind of like marching band brass sound. Just <laughs> oh, my God. So I would love to have my own you know, Mari's Cherry, Afro-Cuban, all-star, whatever. Like, if all this that. just dries up, that's what I want to do. I want to have my own band because I... Or I, all this overflows and you just need some something fun to do, right? It's yeah, just, and I mean, and I, I mean, like, I love music. I, I started learning music, funny enough, from video games. Like, I was into RPGs and video games and stuff. And my mom got me a keyboard because I told myself I wanted to learn piano. Never had the, the dexterity to do piano. I just couldn't remember all the keys and stuff. But trombone is easy. Trombone is seven positions. That's it. It's like easy to learn, lifetime to master. Because yeah. in your head, you have to think, okay, four, three, one, two, one, three, seven, three, two, one, three, one. You're like, oh, you're, you're doing all this <laughs> in your head as you're looking at the music. So it does require that kind of dexterity. Yeah. But I learned how to like write and transpose music from like, I'll record something that the video game is playing. I'll take it to my keyboard. I'll play it out. I'll write it out on sheet music. I'll then transpose it into a different key or clef or whatever. That's and then so I'll take it and then I'll take it to my games. section. 
yeah and like i'll take it to my section and we'll learn it and play it and stuff like that like <laughs> this is gonna be so dorky so one of the things i i taught them was like the fanfare of the final fantasy like whenever you win a battle it does this little like and i would have the brass section play that when the football team scored a touchdown oh nice <laughs> And of course, nobody else knew this. Like, I, I guess probably a handful of people probably were like, oh, right, that's right. from Final all Fantasy. The, all the nerds. <laughs> yeah, right. All the nerds knew it. But I was just like, yeah, this is the one thing. So if all this dries up, that that's what I want to do. I will have my own Afro-Cuban band. That I, that's so what awesome. I want to do. So that's interesting. We have that kind of like dream project music connection. <laughs> that's really dope. Who are some of your influences? Like, I, I know you say you're influenced by your experience, but are there other designers or makers out there that really kind of inspire you? Yeah. I mean, I think once I started realizing that I was like a maker and sort of not, not just a designer and not just a developer, there are a lot of like names that I came across. Now, let me try and rack my brain to remember all of them because I'm really bad with remembering things. So there is, uh, I think Tobias Van Schneider is his name. Um, okay. He used to work at Spotify and now he's working on a product called Simplice and he does a whole bunch of other things. There's also, uh, what's his name? Peter Levels. I cannot remember his last name. And I forget where he's from. I know he's like, they're both not from the US. They're both like European or something. He did this 12 projects in like one year, so like one a month. He got a lot of publicity for that. And I thought that was very interesting that he sort of focused on one project each month, no matter what, and sort of created a lot of interesting projects out of that and not just like 12 silly things or something. Her Twitter name is Ash Smash, and I cannot remember her, her real name. She actually left her job at, I forget where she was working at, but she left her job to do like freelance work. And she also like wrote a book and did a lot of like small artsy projects. And now she's like back at a full-time gig at, I think, Adobe, which I thought was very interesting. And I actually hope to talk to her. So if you're listening, I'm going to reach out to you. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, so that's like a few of my influences. I'm kind of like just now in the process of sort of finding out who these people are just because like, I know what I'm looking for now, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you start doing, I'm pretty sure as you start doing more, you know, networking and stuff like yeah. that, you'll encounter a lot more people. I think the person you're talking about, is it Ashley Huang? Is that who it is? Yes. That's her name. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I got you. Cool. So with everything that you're doing, you know, as a maker, when you look at the, you know, if we want to say the maker industry, what are your thoughts on that? Do you have any sort of kind of, you know, feelings on the state of that industry right now? I don't know if anybody has really figured out how to create a business around just sort of making their own projects. It's always been the, the types of businesses that I've seen is always either someone builds, you know, they have their internal products, but they always have client work to sort of balance that out and pay the bills. Or it is sort of like in the fashion of a venture studio where um, maybe somebody else comes in with the ideas and, you know, you invest a little bit in that company and you get a piece, they get a piece. And then you work on that project together, you see it to fruition, get more investment money and sort of go on this like startup life cycle. And I just kind of don't want either of those situations. I really want to create a business where I'm able to just always be creating these projects and have a sustainable business that way. And I haven't really seen anybody do that yet, or at least I haven't. Not that I can think of right now. I haven't come across anybody that's really doing that. Yeah, most people I know, they're they're either doing that and they're kind of juggling something else. When I think of folks that are doing, I don't know, I guess they, they kind of have studios. It feels like they focus on, oh, I know someone. I don't know his real name, but the brand is called Ugmonk, U-G-M-O-N-K. Yes. Oh, my God. Um, How can I forget him? Yes. 
<laughs> yeah, so as well, but yeah, he's actually a really good example of sort of where I want to take it, except he's doing like mostly physical products. Yeah, I'm looking his name is uh is Jeff Sheldon. But he is someone that like kind of creates a bunch of different pro- Oh, I know someone who who is and I'm I don't can't believe I didn't think of them off the top of my head because I just bought something from them. His name is Virgil Abloh. And he Virgil recent- Abloh. I don't know that yeah. one. Say what? No, I know I just I haven't heard of him. So Virgil is a he's like a creative powerhouse. I really want to try to get him on the show. But Virgil Abloh is a like creative director. He's done a lot of partnerships. His latest partnership, I think, is with Warby Parker. Oh, so wow. Warby, Warby Parker makes eyeglasses and sunglasses and they sell them at like a specific price point. And then for every one that you buy, one goes to charity. And he just partnered with them to make like some, some, a line of sunglasses. His brand that he has is called Off White, which I think I forget the explanation. I think it like exists somewhere between like, the colors of black and gray or something like that. Oh no. Defining the gray area between black and white as the color off white. And so he does like high fashion stuff, but he has like these collaborations with brands where Mm -hmm. he'll do certain things. And I feel like his whole, his whole thing is about collaborating and doing stuff with brands. And he's a, I think he is in Philly. That's interesting because that's actually something that I want part of my business to do because I feel like, one of the ways that I will be able to make it sustainable is be doing these like really good collaborations with like brands and just like other big people in, in, in different industries. So I need to, I definitely need to check him out. I actually just thought of two other people that I think are very similar to what I want to be doing. Have you heard of Paul Jarvis? I think that's his Oh name. yeah. I'm like one connection degree away from Paul Jarvis. Oh, that's awesome. And I um, met his business partner, Zach Gilbert, a few months ago, I was in Chicago doing some work with MailChimp and he's like, oh, yeah, me and Paul Jarvis, we work together on blah, blah, blah. I was like, get out of here. So, yeah, I know Paul Jarvis. He does like Chimp Essentials. He does uh, the creative class. Yeah. He did another project that I call Project Prescription. And so he puts out all these different projects. He also has done a podcast. He does yep. a weekly newsletter called The Sunday Dispatch. Yeah. Yep. I'm familiar with Paul Jarvis. And I think I think he collaborates a little bit with Jason Zook which is somebody that I just started talking to recently too. And he's, he's in a similar position too. So I think, so I think I'm like finally starting to meet people who are very close to how I see my business going. So Mm -hmm. hoping to learn a lot from what they've, they've already experienced. I mean, I I just feel like you are at such a dope vantage point right now. I don't want to keep bringing this back to the webby, but like, You have a fucking Webby. I mean, you can really leave. I really feel like just that much alone can at least get you in conversations with folks. So like going to meetups and, and talking to these folks where you're like, yeah, I collaborated with such a, like you're doing this clothing brand thing. Like go to a fashion meetup. Like, yeah, I'm doing this thing. It's called, you know, it's the more line from born, you know, like, like dream bigger for your brand. Not saying you're not already dreaming big, but. I feel like just leading with that can get you in the door at least to a lot of different places. Well, I'm going to take you up on that. I'm going to try it out and see what happens. <laughs> Please do. I, I really want to be able to check back and be like, yeah, you know, or, or hear about your next big collaboration with, you know, insert huge brand here. Like I want to, yeah. I feel like you could really make that happen. I totally do. I hope so. Thank you for the confidence. <laughs> So just to kind of, you know, wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work and everything online? 
So you can find my work at madebyborn, B-O-U-R-N.com. And I am everywhere at Made by Born on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. All right. Sounds good. Well, Kim Goldborn, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing, you know, the project and the work that you're doing. You know, there's thank another young woman. <laughs> oh, no problem. Yeah, there was another young woman I had on the show. This was maybe a few months ago, Lacey Jordan. And I feel like the two of you are at kind of the same spot creatively and like the advice that i gave her is kind of the same advice i'm giving you which is like you have to just get out there and just do it because if you're waiting for whatever that shot is going to be it's not going to happen if you're waiting for whatever that opportunity is to come to you it's not going to happen like you have to invest in yourself you have to be your own secret weapon and you know if you feel like there's not recognition that you're getting for your work. I mean, you have, I, I keep bringing it back to the Webby, but you know, I was <laughs> going to say it like you have to get the recognition you deserve. Yeah. You have to be out there and be bold because you don't see black women doing this. You don't yeah. see black designers doing it, period, but you definitely don't see black women doing it. And so you kind of have to be audacious and get out there and be in demand. And I really feel like the work that you've done so far, like I said, I've been following you for a while. So I know the level of work that you can put out. And I feel like it's really just going to be a matter of time before you, you blow up. And, and I'm, I'm glad to be that. able to speak to you <laughs> at this point. So thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Thoughts of love are and that's it for this week. Big thanks to Kim Goldburn and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Kim and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Also, thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook Design, MailChimp, Hover, and SiteGround. Facebook designers work on creative products that are used by over 2 billion people. Their mission is to make the world more open and connected, and they use design to create prototypes, shape experiences, and ultimately solve problems as well. Learn more about Facebook Design at facebook.com forward slash design. Whether you need to sell your products, share some big news, or just tell a story, MailChimp makes it easy to create campaigns that best suit your message. Automate your marketing efforts, put your data to work, and see how you're doing. Visit MailChimp.com and sign up for a free account today. MailChimp. Send better email. Every great idea deserves a great domain name, and Hover takes all the hassle and confusion out of buying and managing domains. Hover offers free private domain registration, your choice of hundreds of domain extensions, and you can connect domains to your favorite web services. Ready to get started? Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. Since 2004, SiteGround has been empowering web professionals and beginners alike to build better, faster, safer websites easily without having to worry about hosting. Visit siteground.com forward slash revision path to get 60% off on all hosting plans. SiteGround, web hosting crafted with care. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you liked this episode, please do me a huge favor. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and a review. It only takes a minute or two. It really helps the show out by bumping us up in the rankings there for design podcasts. And I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Visit us at yepitslunch.com for all your design, strategy, and creative consulting needs. 
And if you like the work that we're doing here at the Revision Path, then please consider becoming a patron. You know, now more than ever, Revision Path needs your support to make sure that stories about black designers and creatives in our field are being told in their own words. So if you support us, if you support our mission, just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge today. For just $5 a month, you can get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.